Welcome to Africa on Focus, where we share our success stories. Africa, the continent, the young diaspora, entrepreneurs, influencers, change makers, and so much more. I'm Miss Abba, and this is Africa on Focus, the podcast. Well known him, and uh, his schedule is uh, too full to be booked, but we're absolutely excited to have him as a reoccurring guest. Um, he's a startup uh, re engineering policy consultant, researcher, lecturer and a missionary. His 18 years of work experience that exposed him to more than uh, 78 countries all over the world. And uh, some of the highlights of his work to date is one where he is part of the team that led uh, J-Life Africa in Ghana, a non-denominational movement to develop leaders across the African continent. He's trained almost 500,000 young people globally. Oosh. <laughs> He's the immediate past head of programs at the Bankwa Institute and now the founding executive director of Kalifu Institute. And um, I'm so happy that we have a bit of his time to come and join us. Uh, let me just invite in uh, a power brave of Watch It at Dankwa. Good evening, power brave. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And a very good evening to you, Mr. Bay, and to all your viewers around the world. A good evening. A good. It's a pleasure to have you back on the show. It's It's always... Uh, inspiring. I, I hope you heard me, what I just said, that it's always inspiring to be talking to you. I know, I know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a joy to be back and um, to see that we are relevant to the global conversations at this stage. And um, it's our thrust that we continue to remain relevant as the yeah. years unfold. Yeah, definitely. And I always ask this, you know, when people come on the show, Sunday is so much to, to a lot of people. How was your Sunday today? You, you can't share some of what you've been <laughs> Today was very good. Um, you know how we've, we've had ease up of the COVID-19 and the protocols yeah. and the lockdown. So churches have opened and it's gone beyond the limited number of 100 now to an unlimited number. So I had an yeah. opportunity to be in church uh, this morning just to worship my Lord. And uh, afterwards, I plugged myself into the office just preparing for this unprecedented critical conversation um, right. that is needed at, at this very time. And I'm just thankful to you and Don for the continual opportunity that you grant Kandifu Institute and myself to join this global conversation. Yeah, again, it's a pleasure to have you to have you here on board. Uh, normally, my uh, Donnie is, is, is here, but uh, Donnie had uh, somewhere to go. So he hopes to come and uh, be able to tune in rightfully on time. Uh, but he sends his regards, so uh, <laughs> uh, just uh, just to let you know that you know he was really anticipating and excited to be uh, having you back on the show uh, again today. Great. So hopefully uh, we'll be talking to uh, to him uh, later on. Uh, you also mentioned that you know they're easing down uh, the lockdown in Ghana. How has life been changing? Like how is this new normal, as a lot of people call it, been uh, in your experience? Well, thank you very much. I think that um, the leadership of the country, His Excellency Nanado Danko Ekufuado and um, his vice, Alhaji Dr. Mohamed Obamia, together with all the stakeholders, have done extremely credibly well um, in ensuring that trust is built in the normal citizenry and the easing of the protocols has been extremely good and healthy. So it started with the opening up of the economy after, after the um, intensive lockdown for three weeks and um, the economy was open for everyone to go back to work 
and then it followed up onto the opening of schools for final year students in the university, final year students in the high school, and final year students in the junior high school. The rationale really behind this was to ensure that you don't have a backlog because once the new academic year begins, then you have a backlog of people that have not completed level 400, a backlog of people that have not completed senior high school three, and a backlog of people that have not completed junior high school three. And so this was to ensure that we push up the ladder where final year students in university can write their exam and subsequently graduate so that the level 300s will be able to push up and to enable the senior high school three students who are completing to come up onto level 100 and then to allow the JHS two students to come up onto JHS three and allow the JHS three students that have graduated to go onto senior high school one. And so those, those were very, very helpful incidents. And I commend the Ministry of Education, um, the minister in charge, Dr. Matteo Poco Prempe, and his very deputy um, for the very good work that he have done together with the Ghana Education Service. Then further on came to the easing of religious gathering. And so um, the churches were allowed to operate um, in an hour for a minimum number of 100 people um, whilst observing the various protocols. This clearly also gave rise to other churches that um, really, uh, maybe I shouldn't even call them churches, but other, other gatherings that does not really represent what we read in the good book to really make an introspection of themselves uh, to realize whether they are either churches or just a gathering of people um, in pursuit of something that we do not have an understanding about. And um, further on, the last time the president addressed the country, he lifted it up further on to state that churches can have an unlimited number of people beyond 100 and um, still keep to the one one hour steady uh, mosque are open to an unlimited number of people also as well for an hour and um, the president is going to be addressing the country this evening um, in about um, maybe two and a half hours um, the president is going to address the country and or maybe an hour and a half yeah i think so i think two and a half hours he's going to address the country and uh, clearly just let us know what the next steps are like. I'm not sure I want to predict what the president is going to say, even though sure. I, I may be able to put a few statistics together. Um, but the borders are still closed, um, which, which um, for very good reasons, purely because um, we want to be able to control the spread of the coronavirus. And um, the borders are open for people that are citizens of the country on mandatory quarantine at your own cost. So when you come, you you quarantine yourself for 14 days. So technically we'll say that borders are open for citizens of the country, either by birth yeah. adoption or by um, quickly just acquiring the citizenship. And um, yeah, so these things have been working very well. We have just also finished our voters registration um, for about 36 days. Um, Ghana had to um, clean up the voters registration. The electoral commission, they state that the voters registration was overly bloated and so you needed a cleanup of that and so um, give young people an opportunity who are not either registered before in the previous election because we're not 18 an opportunity to register in this year's election um, and um, we recorded close to about 16.9 million people um, that have registered in the new voters registration and it's um, commendable it's really commendable to commend the electoral commission and commissioner jane mess and the rest of the persons that are there and dr Srebo and his colleagues for a very good work done to be able to clean up. Um, so the statistics also says that had they not cleaned up, 
and the Electoral Commission not claimed that the voters' registration would have had an overbloated number of close to about 20 million people registering in the 2020, registering in the voters' registration for the 2020 election. Meanwhile, Ghana is a population of 31 million people. So the statistics does not really work out well to have two tenths of the persons above 18 years old registering. And so the cleanup was really important and really necessary. And I think that the 31 million people of Ghana's population to have 16.9 of them registering is a true reflection of our democratic progress. And we commend the electoral commission for such a good work. Right, right. right. So let me let me just um you know, just go back. I know we've had you on the show. This is the third time around. But I think that uh, with a lot of uh, listeners, a lot of our listeners, the impression still is that Candy for Institute is like a political party or something like that. You know what I mean? But just to emphasize that that's not the case, could you be able to just summarize what Candy for Institute is really about and why we are having conversations like this? Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Bai, and even to Donnie, who is in absentia, and to the rest of your listeners. So Candifo Institute basically is a public policy think tank, um, very conservative, um, libertarian, and uh, we are involved in a number of advocacies, and um, we write a number of papers. We have about 10 initiatives underneath our think tank. Um, we have the Leadership Hive, we have the Covenants Hive, we have the Economic Hive, we have the Let's Go Lower, we, we have the Mentoring and Coaching Hub, we have the Letter Lead, we have the Abatoa Sumdue, we have the Democratic Election Things and Center, um, um, we, we have a Mentoring and Coaching Hub, um, we have just launched our Ghana election watch.com. Um, we, we have an institute that is focused on training young people to be next generational leaders. Um, called Yendachin. Yendachin is a local word, tree word, which means um, future. Um, I'm not Pan-Africanist, but I, I believe in the originality of the African history and heritage. And so I always would like to go back to our local dialect. So Kandifo is a tree word, which means leader, which means leader. And um, we, we can write it in tree. We, we, um, the right spelling for Kandifo is all, and there's no all alphabet in the English in the English rendition. So that's what Candifo Institute um, stands on. To, to think that Candifo Institute is um, a politically oriented think tank is to, is, to, is to see that we are doing our work extremely well, which means that we are in the public space of engaging all political parties. And um, rightly so, um, civil society organizations are supposed to be one of the arms of government that keeps the government accountable um, that bridges the space between the government and the citizenry. And so if you hear that Kandifo Institute is involved in political conversations, it's rightly so because it's part of its mandate to be a think tank that is involved in public advocacy, that is conservative, that is limited, um, that thinks about limited government, that is libertarian in nature. And so all of these acts of conversations are extremely important for our political discourse and our democracy. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So just uh, to emphasize, uh, because we have a shout out to Richie A.T., who is one of our devoted listeners, most outspoken, who probably gets the impression that, you know, this is uh, politically affiliated in that sense that, we, that we're avoiding in our talks now. Uh, but just to point out, it's, it's not that. It's a think tank 
um, and it has several, uh, last time you pointed them all out one by one, several initiatives to ensure that young people uh, uh, go ahead in its rightful way. That's, uh, that's, that's urban language, the urban summary. Let me just uh, put it, put it <laughs> right, like that. Right, right. Um, right. Uh, one, one of the questions, and this is a, a funny, an interesting question that uh, Donnie chipped in because one um, coming from our last interview, talking to you, uh, you know, talking a bit about the discipline that, you know, uh, young people should look for to have and things like that. Uh, it, 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 you know, it, it drove us into the right direction. Donnie came up the next show wearing a, a blouse, you know, wearing all, uh, looking all chic, you know, and um, <laughs> we had both even even done more research and more reading uh, several books like the, the, the Influence of the West on Africa, uh, How to Be Better Communicators, and so forth. There were, were a list of things that we improved uh, in our life. And um, we were just wondering this type of impact that you seem to have on people, is this normal? Um, uh, how is your, 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 uh, your reception from young people in general? Well, I think that um, generally, if you have built yourself quite well over, over a period of time, if you have taken what you do very seriously, if you have not stopped uh, doing the very basic things that brought you to limelight and brought you to the summit of the mountain and um, you continue to do that um, you clearly would see that um, impact is made and impact is really for me described like a vehicle colliding into another vehicle and seeing that there is there is havoc that has been caused and so um it's it's it's, it's really just for me very welcoming when i i get to hear that um, either young people or even Elderly people make reference of the fact that um, one or two of my conversations on my lifestyle has been a challenge, and um, it really doesn't get much into my head um, because we 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 are very focused on where we are going to. We are very focused on what we want to do, and um, we just keep saying that um, it's, it's good that this has made an impact upon your life. Just pass it on to another person. Um, really doesn't make much uh, meaning if you just say that it's made an impact and you don't leave it out. Um, I think that everybody who knows me sees that I, I really like to leave things out. Things must be lived out. Uh, if things are not lived out, that is of no relevance. And I mean, I have been particularly very excited about this evening's conversation because you, yourself and Donnie, and I'm sure the rest of the production team have chosen a very important topic, and I'm sure you're going to um, welcome that conversation. But I just really want to throw light into it because you have chosen a topic that looks into building a system that we can yeah. trust. And understanding the role, the true role of leadership, and um, it's, it's yeah. really, really important that if we want to build a system that we can trust, then we need to be doers of what we say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. Um, well, just to uh, go back into just like you mentioned, the main topic of this uh, uh, of this conversation, it was listed out like that to really um, be able to engage with our audience. So that people could raise questions and uh, be able to ask, you know, what system are we talking about? Uh, where? Let me just explain it to our listeners where this particular topic uh, came from. And one of the the first things is this period that we are in. You know, 2020 came quite surprising for many. Um, you know, us having to deal with the COVID-19 and um, all around the world, it put our systems as we know it 
you know, whether that be here in Europe or whether that be in the States or whether that be in Ghana and put it quite under the loop, you know, uh, as to, okay, the system that we have thus far, is it really reliable? And is it really there to help us once uh, a, a pandemic uh, such as COVID-19 comes and kick, kick in? So it has really raised for a lot of young people uh, like myself, you know, among my age group, uh, among the conversation that I have with fellow, uh, whether that be fellow entrepreneurs, fellow professionals or fellow students, as to can our systems, as we know it, really handle um, these events that we have gone through in uh, 2020. And then also that we have the part of, you know, us being Ghanaians and the part of uh, politics coming across um, and so forth. So these are one of the examples that uh, come along that have people to raise questions like what is the, the system that we are living in? Uh, how can we build a system that we can finally trust? Um, why is it that, for instance, in Ghana, there is a difference with the way we do things in the Netherlands and so forth? So all of these questions uh, arise both online and both on uh, in-personal conversations. So that is number one where uh, uh, the topic of systems or that bit of system uh, really came from. The other part is obviously the leadership bit where we have been focusing on in our last two interviews, where we've had the opportunity to engage with, uh, with you, Palgrave, on what leadership really means. Uh, is a leadership something that you are born with? Uh, how, how do young people uh, take on a leadership role and uh, become effective in their roles and so forth? So, so many things that we've discussed. So now we're actually coming back to that conversation to be able to, to connect the two and also find means and ways to identify opportunities that we can take as I would say global Africans, but both Ghanaians uh, are living in Ghana itself to really uh, look forward towards uh, building a system that we often complain about and um, actually building the system that we really want to see. So that is uh, just to explain it to our audience, what has led this particular topic to uh, uh, to come to this point, but let's talk about your your platform because um, I've seen a lot of uh, announcements uh, concerning Kandifo Institute. Um, your platform uh, was it uh, the, the the platform? Uh, the name it itself says it on its own. Um, could could you share with us what this platform is about? What does it do? Uh, when someone comes on the platform, do you want to be able to be a part? What do you take part in? Could you give us an idea of that? Okay, thank you very much, Ms. Abba. I'm sure you're talking about the new platform that we launched. Is that correct? Yeah, that's it. Okay, so we we, we just launched uh, we, our fourth initiative, which is called the Ghana Election Watch.com. Uh, basically, as a nonpartisan um, think tank. We we are very much interested in data, and we know that the adverse of 2020 to 2030 and the beginning of this whole new decade is a data-driven um, generation and a data-driven century. And um, we have realized that there is not a one-stop online platform that um, give you a bit of a data on what electioneering processes has been. We know that um, every single country, for them to be able to make a decision on who will lead their country, either as president or represent them at the Chamber of Parliament or the House of Commons or the House of Lords or at the Senate, they need to 
votes. And so um, electioneering spans right from the 17th century right up until now. So it clearly tells you that for over the past 300 years, all around the world, people have been voting. And um, this year, 2020, you have close to about 131 countries around the world um, that are going to exercise their democratic rights from about five continents. Africa has about 35 countries that are going to vote, including Ghana. Um, Europe has over uh, 15 countries that are going to vote, North America, South America, Middle East, and um, Oceania. So all these countries put together close to about, all these continents put together close to about 131 countries are going to vote. Our online platform is um, um, an online platform, ghanaelectionwatch.com, that is a database um, of electioneering results and analysis that spans from 1951 right up to 2020. And so 1951, you would realize that there were electoral colleges that um, had to exercise their democratic rights. And then um, there were just a few other people that um, had to vote. And all of these were on the population statistics and the population dimension. Right up from 1951 up until 2016, we realized that the voting pattern has changed. Many years ago, we used to have different days where you vote for your parliamentary candidate and different days where you vote for your president. And uh, over the years, we've realized that there's been a good streamline where you are able to vote for your parliamentary candidate on the same day that you vote for your presidential candidate as well. And um, we have analyzed this data that gives the patterns within which the voting um, data has taken over over the past uh, years that Ghana started voting, primarily because um, from 1992 right up until 2000, we have experienced stable democracy. Um, so that's like 28 years of stable democracy, which uh, political elites and academics and think tanks like us and researchers will call the fourth republic. And so we have brought these data out for young people and even the elderly to be able to analyze and assess um, uh, the voting pattern and also to help the various political parties identify which areas that they must focus on. It's rightful for us to be able to also state very clearly that Ghana it's um, a politically awake country where we, 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 we it, it goes without mentioning that we have two major political parties, one to the right and one to the left. And um, there are others that are fighting at the bottom of that. And um, the country is clearly divided along these two political parties. And um, if you take a data of about 100% of the country's population in terms of the 16.9 million people that have registered to vote in the 2020 general election, you would have close to about 40% go to the right and 40% go to the left. 20% of those would just fight between where they would want to be. And this online platform, uh, we have manifestos that um, people can reference to, to be able to make decisions on which political party that they need to vote for. It's also important that in this country, people vote for political parties without looking at the leader. And I'm very sure that along these conversations, we are going to start having conversations around the fact that should we vote for a political party or should we look at the leader in that particular political party and make the decision on who to vote for. So our online platform is open for the entire country. We have asked all the relevant media houses to make reference to our online platform for accurate analysis and predictions uh, towards the 2020 general elections in terms of our analysis that we have done in terms of uh, policy dimensions that we have brought to bear. And for those of you that are in the diaspora as well around the world, we tell you that if you want one, a one-stop online platform 
for the 2020 general election, if you are concerned about the development of Ghana, if you hail from Ghana or married from Ghana or have a family in Ghana or you have an investment in Ghana, the only website you want to be visiting during this general election is the ghanaelectionwatch.com website. And when you go there, you will find data from 1992, parliamentary, presidential, or political parties. You will find data from 1996, parliamentary and presidential, right up onto the 2020 general election, where we have three candidates that, or even four candidates that have declared their intention to stand. The New Patriotic Party has declared His Excellency Nanado Danko Ekufuado as the, run, as the presidential candidate for the New Patriotic Party with his able running mate, Vice President of the Republic, Dr. Muhammad Ubalmiya. The NDC has chosen former President John Dramani Mahama and the running mate, all of you are aware, Professor Nana Jane. And um, we have a few two independent candidates. Marek um, is standing as an independent candidate whose manifesto is ready, which is commendable. And um, we have one Akalu as well who is interested. And I think that um, the coalition of independent independent aspirants are coming together to hold a debate to be able to decide who will lead the independent front. And um, this online platform is um, extremely non-partisan by its name is Ghana Election watch.com one of the good things that we have about this online platform is that beyond the election all other uh, media houses are going to close down their election centers and focus on other things one of the things that this will do is that we are going to be watching the reason why it is called ghana election watch is that right up that once we are done with monday 7th december 2020 and we do not go into a runoff on 28th of december and the president is declared and sworn in on 7th December, 7th January 2021, the Ghana Election Watch website begins to watch into the next election, which is Saturday, 7th December 2024. So we are going to have a four-year watch to be able to see who we should vote for come Saturday, December 7th, 2024. And that is the purpose of this online platform, which is an initiative of Candy Frame. Mm, I see. And uh, just just uh, to ask you, because I hear a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the reason why the platform is here, the type of data it focuses on, um, can you share a bit about the reliable part? Some would, would say that, because I hear one would comment that, you know, a lot of these platforms or a lot of these watch uh, or even to media platforms are regulated by a political party. Um, could you share how this is not related to a, a particular political party and some type of uh, confidentiality, as they would say? Um, could you share a bit about that? How is this different? Thank you very much. Uh, this is this is very different because this sits on a think tank. Um, all other uh, maybe platforms that may be available may be skewed towards a particular agenda. But this sits on a think tank that is non-political. This sits on a think tank that is tried and tested and proven to be very objective in its analysis, even, even in moments and times where it, it does not favor the, the, the people that matter. And so um, people should trust us and um, give us the credibility that we deserve and the credibility that we have had over the years. It also sits on a leader that is tried and tested over the past 22 years, which is myself. And um, clearly we, we, we are very sure that 
um, come December 7th, as we get closer to the polls, the various analysis and statistics and predictions that we'll be able to put together will reflect the very one that the Electoral Commission will put together. And uh, we are working for this good country. We are working for all the 31 million people in this country. And we are working for the Electoral College with the 16.9 million people. And so this is extremely nonpartisan. All the various political parties are on the platform from NPP to NDC to CPP to PNC um, to NDP, all those political parties are there. And it's rightful to even note that when we had the launch, they were, all the political parties were present. We had representatives from the CPP, we had representatives from the MPP and the NDC representative, I spoke with him, but he mentioned that he was on the campaign trail and sent his apology and couldn't attend. And so we are very much open to all the political parties and we told them that if you visit the website and you don't find any of your manifestos there, email it to info at ghanaelectionwatch.com and my able team will be able to upload all your manifesto. And uh, one of the things that we're going to do as well, beginning um, from maybe next month in the next three weeks is that we're going to have an opportunity to interview all the presidential aspirants for all the political parties. And I think that um, without going ahead of myself, it would be a great honor to partner with High Radio to be able to do this for the good people of this country. I love that idea. That's a, that's a, that's a way of uh, chipping in uh, a, good, a good and powerful suggestion. I will definitely <laughs> follow that through. With the with the managing team, <laughs> um, I, I I love I love how you are explaining you know the, um, the whole operational part of, of the platform. Obviously, with your line of experience and things, you could just back to back tell us about you know how the uh, political system is 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 set up. But I would really like to 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 know more about your observations on the side of young people because that is that is really the group that you're focusing on. And um, that is really the, the your participating group. That is your that is the target group of the Twenty Four Institute. Uh, could you share with this with us a, a bit about your observation uh, um, among young people? Because in, in general, generally speaking, some would uh, would would not have as much confidence in uh, in leaders, political leaders, or political parties or uh, institutions that portray themselves, uh, whether they do or don't portray themselves as politically affiliated. But I just want to know, what are your observations in terms of the confidence of young people? Uh, they're participating in uh, uh, the, this platform that you have initiated and others. How is that? Could you tell us a bit about some of the, the, the observation that you've made? Well, thank you very much. I mean, you, you would be amazed. I have been overly overwhelmed with the number of emails and phone calls that have come through from diverse kinds of people um, showing interest and also availing their skills to help us with policy analysis and data collection and research and entry of data. And all of these are young people. Even right up today, I've had close to about five people visit me in this office to be able to share that they want to be a part of that. And all of what I've asked it for them to bring their CVs. And I've just reviewed close to about 25 CVs just today and um, sharing all of them at various places in terms of volunteering um, towards, towards the, the election. And uh, the Electoral Commission has accredited my institute, Kandifu Institute, as um, one, one of the observers and, uh, during, during, the, during the general election. And so we are going to recruit close to about 2,000 to 5,000 young people across the country and distribute them to the various 
um, constituencies and polling stations, um, 275 of them in number. And this is going to be an opportunity for young people to be engaged in the democratic decisions and even be able to observe on um, the proceedings because the 2020 general election is one of the elections that is going to catapult this country towards its development. And um, I want to be very, very objective. And as objective as I can be, I want to encourage every young person to be able to hear what each leader is saying and ask themselves if it reflects to their own values. I think that if you want to be a leader of this country, your vision must be audacious. If you do not have an audacious For those of you who just tuned in, uh, welcome to Africa on Focus. Uh, thank you for giving us a bit of your time. Uh, we are talking to uh, Paul Grave of Wache Dankwa, uh, all the way from uh, Accra, Ghana. I think his uh, connection is acting up a bit, but uh, we'll be taking care of that. Um, again, thank you for tuning in. If you're on Facebook, I would really, really would love to learn more about what your thinking is. We kind of are zooming into a very relevant topic and a kind of a deep topic that is uh, building systems that we can trust and uh, also um our last interview with Palgrave talked about the characteristics of, of powerful leaders how his institute can be for institute is is growing young people to become the leaders that we need tomorrow and also what it entails to have uh, uh, the characteristics of uh, a true leader. First of all, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Richie A.T. for engaging with us and being so strong and so knowledgeable on uh, the topics that we are discussing. Richie, I still have an invitation to extend to you. Please drop your email so uh, that you also join us with our next Let's Chat Africa because you always seem to, to show up with the most daring uh, question and uh, we love it. Um, so uh, make sure that you uh, join us for our next show so that wherever you are from home, you can also tune in and, uh, and give us your critical look. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to all of you on Facebook that uh, just tuned in. Uh, Asta Dankwa, who is, uh, who is our Olympian, uh, Olympic champion. And also uh, Frank Danchik, uh, thank you for tuning in on your Sunday evening to come and listen to Africa and Focus. We're going to get uh, uh, Power Wave watching down club back because you know how this uh, connection, it can sometimes act up. So let me just make sure that uh, uh, we get him back to continue our talk about, um, uh, actually, we were discussing the topic of young people. Um, I thought, Grave, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. I think that I have two, two of them working at the moment, so I just would close one. Uh, okay, right. Okay, great. Okay. Good. Back I'm to fine. You. I think you can hear me. Can you hear me? Yes, right. Right. back, back okay. to a, a strong connection. We were talking about, yes. you know, uh, what is happening on the side of young people, uh, their participation and, um, and, and, and of that. Could you share with us? More? Well, young people, young people are particularly very active. And um, we have seen from the data of 16.9 million people that um, young people that are 18 years old um, this year, and even last year, we have close to about 1 million of them um, registering to vote. Uh, clearly tells you that young people want to take the decisions of the future into their hands. 
um, anytime I've had an opportunity to show on a platform, I do tell young people who are 20 years old that uh, if you do not make a decision on who becomes your president, in the next 37 years when Ghana is 100 and you are 57, you would not have thought that you would want to live in this country. And so do not think that you are young because if you, if you allow um, someone who is uh, maybe uh, someone who is 90 years old to, to make a decision in the next 37 years when Ghana is 100, that person is going to be 127 years old. And I'm not sure how active that person is going to be in terms of the person's own psychological um, balance and emotional balance and contribution and strength. And so we see that a number of young people have been very, very much enthused and participated. I have been overwhelmed, like I rightly said, um, towards this 2020 general election as we have an opportunity to observe um, as accredited by the electoral commission. We are going to raise close to about 2,000 to 5,000 young people, distribute them across the country in all polling stations for them to observe. I think that when, 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 when they are writing their own history, as it relates to democracy in Ghana, they will be able to reference that when I was an observer in the 2020 general election, as by Kandefo Institute on the Ghana Election Watch project, I observed that Ghanaians know why they vote in the manner in which they vote and who they vote for. And, um, it, it, you know, um, I, over the last week, I was on a sister radio station and uh, one, of, one of your colleagues did ask me if Ghanaians vote rationally. And I answered that, yes, Ghanaians do vote rationally. And um, I have mentioned um, over and over again that our politics is very dogmatic, dogmatic and very religious. People are born into a political party and there is nothing that you can do about that. It's the same way um, when you are choosing a high school. I went to Adisado College in Ghana. And so um, maybe someone would say, um, my uncle went to the Saddle College, so my uncle wants me to go to the Saddle College. And that's how it is. My father did medicine, so my father wants me to do medicine. That's, that's the society we live in. People, people hand over heritage and people hand over treasures. And um, it's not wrong when those treasures and those heritages are handed over from one generation onto another generation. It purely premised on the fact that these people have been impacted positively as it relates to their own development and their own upbringing. Yeah, I love that. So let me ask you this, because um, because on a uh, global scale, not to get too much into detail, because that would be uh, another another hour. Um, from you know, on the international, from the international view, on one hand, Ghana is a lot of time credited uh, to be you know, uh, safety is strong, uh, democracy is up and running right, but on the other hand. Um, when um, a lot of people talk about the current system that is running in, in Ghana, it seems that people are still not really content. Um, blaming leaders for making continuous wrong choices. It could be from the Department of Health to uh, any other uh, department. Um, do you think that it is fair to be criticizing the leaders that we have in Ghana specifically and at the same time, call this a, a democracy that we're living in. Do you think that this is fair? Well, um, thank you very much. You know, as I looked at the topic, I, I, I raised up close to about six pillars in terms of um, fundamentals I will talk about. But in relation to this particular question, it brings up um, one of the questions that I raised, uh, which is question five. And I, I'm trying to look at 
the history of systemic challenges in Africa. And I, I'd like to tackle that as um, a continental issue. I, I think that um, we have systemic challenges of poor infrastructure. Um, we have systemic challenges of um, lack of proper redistribution of natural resources. Um, we have systemic challenges of um, persistent um, lack of leadership and governance, um, persistent challenges of tribal politics, and um, a high level of persistent challenge of corruption. And so this, this is a continental issue. I, I, I wouldn't want to narrow it down to um, a smaller country like Ghana of a population of 31 million people. I really want to look at it as a bigger continental issue. And um, for those of our brothers and sisters and viewers who are in the other parts of the world can also look at this holistically um, within their own continent. What are, what are the systemic challenges? And um, as, you, as you look at systemic challenges, it gives you an opportunity to say that let's call for true leadership uh, because it, it is out of true leadership that would be able to address these issues. You know, John Maxwell says that leadership has less to do with position than it does with disposition. Leadership has less to do with position than it does with disposition. And I, 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 I answer the question what true leadership is as true leaders are really people that are in service for their people, that true leaders act with integrity and in doing so, they establish trust. So to be able to deal very clearly with systemic challenges, you need true leaders that will be able to establish trust. True leaders genuinely also value their people and in so doing, they create loyalty. And um, true leaders are in the business of assisting people, realize their full potential, and in doing so, they inspire excellence. And so if you're looking at systemic challenges, then you're also wanting to look at um, addressing the conversation of true leadership. There are people that do not plan their journey towards the highest level of leadership. It just happens to them accidentally. And I think that I've had an opportunity of sharing on your platform that there are accidental leaders, there are intentional leaders. There are leaders who become leaders accidentally. One typical example is a Liberia situation. When Liberia was planted into civil unrest, we saw young people come up in leadership. It was an accidental leadership. We saw many young people becoming early parents, 18-year-olds having three-year-old born babies, 17-year-old having two-year-old born babies, and the likes. And so it's an accidental leadership. And for us to be able to build a systemic country, there are, there are some crucial things that um, one needs to identify. And now maybe I'd like to focus on Ghana, that um, if we want to look at Ghana's own DNA and Ghana's own development, we need to identify the needs of the country and then also build up Ghana's developmental priorities. I think that about a week or two ago, I had an opportunity of partaking in Ghana's, Ghana's priorities, Ghana priority agenda. Um, which was supported by the Copenhagen Consensus Center. And so the Copenhagen Consensus Center has clearly looked at Ghana's 80 priorities that would bring us into development. And I, I, I happen to be um, one of the persons that reviewed some of the papers and contributed as well to this conversation. But if you're looking at building a systemic country, you need to identify the development priorities because development goes with policy. Once you 
policy is at the left, development is at the right. When you bridge them together, that brings, that brings the development that you desire. It's like infrastructure goes with industrialization. And you need to ensure that you have an economic society happening within one place. And um, for, for, for all around the world, we know the World Bank um, assesses various countries at various levels and through the country assistance and strategy, which is the CAS, for instance. And they're able to use that to assess where each country is and um, diagnose each country's own challenges, um, particularly the incidence of trends and causes of poverty. And also, it's, um, when World Bank wants to support you, it considers the country's own developmental challenges, and particularly in incidents of um, develop institutional development and implementation capacity. Um, Ghana is a very, very, very enriched country. And um, I think that the 2016 general election really um, exhibited to the rest of the world and even to the country that they overwhelmingly um, voted for this very certain um, president. And it's really just by the figures. It's, it's, it's not playing politics at all. It's really just by the figures to, to win, to win, to come from an opposition and win overwhelmingly beyond a million people. It's, it's just the trust that the people has, have given to you. And I, I think that um, if, we, if we see what has been done with that trust, um, we see that... Um, the good people have been extremely encouraged by the capacity of implementation. And then um, it tells in the numbers of people that are employed by the government to be able to ensure that these things are coming to bear. But one of the things that we need to look at as we look at a strategy that will help in development is number one, an accelerated action on poverty reduction. Why do we have brain drain? I, I visited Gambia, um, I think about four or five years ago, I, I was in Banjo, and um, many young Africans, um, they call it the black side of the Mediterranean Sea. Many black Africans would want to go to Europe to see greener pastures. Why? Because of poverty. Poverty, poverty, poverty. And so um, if we want to be able to bridge up the challenges, um, we need to have an accelerated action on poverty reduction. And um, poverty must be reduced to the barest minimum where it is evidential in the fabrics of the development. So that when you enter into a country like Ghana, you will not find any street children. You will not find street children under the age of 18 trying to, trying to either do, do things on the road, clean your windscreen, or sell dog chains and the like. You will not find any of that. Mandela did say um, when, when he was interviewed in one of his interviews, he did when he was asked what he was going to do um, after his resignation from president after apartheid, he said that he wants to be able to see a South Africa where people do not lift up a placard and say that um, this is me, this is my name, I am hungry, give me a job for the day and so I can be able to take care of my family. He says that he wants to be a CS South Africa that does not, that, that does not do that. And um, I think that an accelerated action on poverty reduction will be extremely key for the development of this country. Number two, a restoration and a maintenance of the macroeconomic stability. Economy is extremely important. And um, I, I, I don't play politics. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a policy um, research think tank. But the data is really clear to bring to bear. How is it that a, a government would allow a banking sector to to practice banking in a manner in which 
that is not credible, in the manner in which the regulations does not allow, and um, totally collapse the banking sector in pretense that the banking sector exists. And so I commend very strongly the leadership of um, the sitting president, Nanadi Dankwe Kufuado, and um, the leadership of the EMT, which is headed by the vice president, Haji Dr. Mahadu Bonia, and the um, honorable Kinofurata, the finance minister, for being so resolute in cleaning up the banking sector and salvaging millions of monies and thousands of depositors salvaging their own finances. I mean, records have shown that many people whose monies were lost are, are going to be are receiving their money. This afternoon I was meeting one of my friends and he said that they are paying the money. And so it's important that we become real. I mean, I, I don't think that, um, um, I don't think that if we remain real, it's going to destroy anything. The country belongs to the people. The country needs to be developed. The country must not be developed into the pocket of one individual. And so restoring and maintaining macroeconomic governance is extremely important, macroeconomic stability. Extremely important for us to be able to deal with the challenges. And I have extreme confidence in, in what has been done in the financial sector, the financial cleanup. I'm extremely confident with the various regulators coming in to ensure that depositors funding is safe and is intact. The third thing as well, as we want to be able to bridge up these um, challenges that I listed earlier on, is that we need to develop a national program for capacity building under conditions of good governance, okay? So there are bad governance, and um, I, I don't think I have much time to go into um, what the types of bad governance are like. But that's what I'm saying, that if you want to be a president or you want to lead a country, your vision must be audacious. If I look at you, as a particular political party or a particular leader and your vision is not audacious, I will just submit to you that please resign and go and lead a private organization which has less than 10 people or less than 200 people. Um, you, do, you may not have the capacity to lead 31 million people and even represent those 31 people on the global ladder of leadership. And so the fourth one is that we need to foster private sector development in all sectors private sector development in all sectors. For us, for us as um, a think tank, we, you know that we, we are in the free market space. And so uh, recently we, we, we held on very strongly and went um, in, in support of um, making sure that we break the monopoly of one particular um, telco in the country. And we wrote papers and um, published it in various newspapers about how we feel that that monopoly must be broken. Because if that monopoly is not broken, it has a negative impact on the, the country's own telecommunication agency, which, which has less than, um, maybe less than 50% um, in, in that. And, and I don't want to mention any of the telcos, but we must really foster private sector development in all sectors, especially agriculture. You know that we have more lands um, in Ghana than we, does have, than we do have the sea. I mean, we are not to, we, we, I mean, uh, and when you go to Liberia, you see the Gulf of Guinea and, and the Atlantic Ocean, all of those. I think that we, 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 we have more land. And so we need to be able to make sure that the sector of agriculture, we have enough to be able to feed the rest of this continent. And so we need to develop that. And we need to take into consideration the various perspectives of sustainable development goals. We need to look at our economic dispensation very well. We need to look at our social uh, environment, 
environmental, ecological, and institutional perspective. The economic perspective so clearly focuses on the economy of the country. Our economic perspective focuses on the economy of the country. And the ecological aspect also takes into consideration the stability of biological and physical systems. And I need to just explain that social perspectives reflects the interface between development and the social norms that prevail in the respective stakeholder groups. And um, for us to be able to ensure that we bridge these challenges, finally, we need an institutional perspective that is important, most important ingredient for sustainable development, which drives the country positively. Right. So, because uh, I hear it, and, and definitely um, what I like is that you've drawn out some of the, the exact systems that tend to be quite unreliable, let me just put it that way. Um, just to give an example so that we can have an idea of specifically the strategy that we can think of or that you're driving young people to do. Like, for instance, uh, police extortion, uh, specifically traffic officers. What is a, a practical strategy that you think of or an institute think, thinks of, not directly in, implemented because, again, you're not a political party, but really driving people towards? Could you could you give us, like, an example of such? For instance, well, so ba ba basically, um, one example would be that, um, you know, there are systemic challenges um, that are in every country. And uh, to be able to go against the norm is to understand the laws of the country. And so tickets like uh, maybe in the police service and uh, you are either stopped by a particular police person and he's trying to escort you or trying to uh, bully you. you. You need to get back to the law and um, let a police person know what, what, what you are aware of. And um, you need to be able to challenge the police person. And I think that once the police person is aware that you understand the law, he's not going to, he's not going to disenfranchise you. From, from going ahead with um, your drive. This is one example. Mm -hmm. Right. I see. Um, the education system, what what can you, what are your observations about that? Can Candifo Institute have an opinion, <laughs> as I would say? Uh, where do you believe uh, it, it can use some improvements? Absolutely. I mean, we, we, we've written papers on, on the educational system and I'm, I'm sure that in, in in 45 minutes when the president addresses the nation and gives the directives of, on where education is going to go. We've written papers on the fact that in terms of reopening the entire educational system, we need to be able to do it, do it in models. I have advocated that children go to school for long hours. I mean, sometimes they, they're in school and they're really not doing anything. Um, the maximum retention rate of children is about six hours. And so um, typically, if you take your child to school from nine o'clock, your child should be closing by two o'clock or even at most one o'clock and um, bring your child home to be able to build on the child's own um, social development. And um, we've written these papers that if we do open the schools, we need to run a bit of a modular system where we have three badges um, or even two badges. Um, some will go to school three times, three days in a week. Others will go to school two days in a week and they'll close, they close very early in shorter periods of time. So that it gives time for the children to be engaged in other social sectors. And um, we've had conversations of this nature at the very highest level to the people that matter. Yeah. So I hear you uh, You saying uh, the Kandi for Institute have been, has been working, it's been, it's been running. Um, one of the announcements definitely is the, the Ghana Election Watch, you just pointed out 
what that really means, what that stands for, what it intends to do. Um, also was another announcement that we picked up on because, you know, we follow you on, on Facebook or we follow the Institute on, uh, on Facebook. Um, very, very exciting to, to see. I think one of the, the latest is, let me, let me make sure I, uh, I name it right. Um, where you, um, it, it had to do, yeah, you were, uh, or Kandifo Institute was appointed Africa's academic advisor for Ibi University. Um, these are some of the things that we have picked upon, you know, uh, endorsed by the Institute. What does this mean? What is, what is that specific appointment? What does it, what difference does it make for, uh, young people in Ghana? Okay. Okay. Sure. So thank you very much. I, I, I think that in our first, um, interview, you did mention that I've, I've done quite a bit of schooling and, uh, I, yeah. I, I did not take that lightly as well. Um, so I've done, I've done some quite bit of schooling and I'm still in, in the field of schooling. And I think that um, we'll, we'll continue to study as the opportunity avails itself. And so clearly I, I was appointed uh, personally as right. uh, academic advisor for Africa for DPU, which is an online university based in India. And um, as I was as appointed academic advisor for Africa um, with a variety of responsibilities as well beyond Africa. And my goal, um, really for um, the new academic year, which is beginning in September, is to be able to raise close to about 1,000 students who would offer MBA. And so um, there are two options. Um, we give 100% we give scholarship um, to 1,000 students who are eligible that will go through the Indian system once they are selected and um, they'll, they'll be able to do an MBA for free. And so I mentioned it here this, this, this evening as I hold a conversation with Miss Abba and Donnie in Ascensia on high radio that yes, if, you, if you're listening to us and you're interested in doing an MBA and you do not have funding, there's funding available for you, 100% scholarship. And um, all you need to do is to just um, reach um, us at Kandifo Institute. Miss um, Abba can give you all the relevant details. And then also we, we, we have opportunity for those that may not be able to meet up to the requirements from the Indian government to also do an MBA at a cost of 2,750 US dollars which is extremely discounted. It's purely online, it's for four semesters. You have eight different options in your second year to be able to choose whether you do project management, whether you do IT, whether you do hospitality, whether you do HR, whether you do business administration. And there are various options of that as well. And um, Candifo Institute um, is, is, is representing the, the, the DP University in Ghana. That's, that's really what it is. And this is, this is a change agent. Um, in the conversations of education, because there are times that, I mean, I've told many young people that um, in the dispensation that you were born, once you're done with your first degree, your parents are done with you, clearly. Your parents just tell you that um, they take you to kindergarten, take you to lower primary, upper primary, senior high school, university, and then the rest is really up to you. And so if you finish your first degree and you're working and um, you have time on your hand, jump onto the online university, DPU online university, enroll, on the MBA course and um, be on your way to your own developmental agenda. So really, this is what it is. And I, I, I honor the, the, the Vice Chancellor of DPU for the recognition he gave to me um, to serve on the advisory faculty um, for Africa. And I think that uh, I'm showing good leadership uh, over these uh, eight weeks that I've been in office as the Academic Advisor for Africa to be able to do advocacy on leadership and education and raise those students that will be needful for the academic year. 
And so admissions are still in, in ongoing. Um, we haven't closed admissions yet. And so if you're interested in enrolling the MBA course for DPU, please connect with Candifo Institute. Just Google Candifo Institute and uh, you'll find the contact details and uh, we'll just pick it up. Or reach Ms. Abba and Ms. Abba will get you to Candifo Institute. Sure, be sure to, follow, to forward that. Uh, in the meantime, for those of you uh, who tuned in, thank you. Uh, shout out to all of uh, our, our lovely listeners that just uh, tuned in uh, from, um, yeah, uh, on the Facebook page, on uh, on YouTube as well. And also, of course, on our radio channel, uh, High Radio, the voice of the next generation. This is what we're about. We're all about young people and making sure that the voice of this generation and the next is uh, is heard. If you just tuned in and you have this thriving question, I know I have a few questions in the comment box that we will be discussing in a few minutes with our special guest, Padre Guachidangwa, um, who's the director, the head of Kandifu Institute. And this is the third time around that he has been joining us on this show uh, to talk about you know, what the Institute is for. And, um, and also we have touched on different as uh, topics, such as leadership, how can we how can we unite global Africans? And this is uh, our uh, other conversation that uh, surrounds building the systems that we can trust. Very very important, especially in this year, two thousand and twenty. That's uh, it's seeming to be quite of an interesting year for both you and I. Um, so, Palwif, could you uh, share with me your take on uh, the trust element? Building a system that we can trust, where does this begin? I know that you are really taking the time out to, to, to you know, access young people. Uh, a lot of people would say, you know, it starts with young people because they're the future. Uh, but in your own words, where does this, this trust element, where does this begin? Thank you. So, um, I mean, how, how do we really build a system that we can trust? I mean, I think that successful development really requires capacity. Um, capacity is important, um, and I and I, I look at capacity as um, maybe a water in a glass. And so, um, if you have a bigger glass, the water is much more. If you have a smaller glass, the water is much less. So it's based on the capacity of the glass. And so, successful development really requires capacity of countries to implement policies and manage public resources through their own institutions and systems. And um, for us, um, national and economic infrastructures are coming to depend on networks that are informed systems. These systems must be trustworthy. Okay, so these systems must be trustworthy. And um, trustworthiness really is a holistic property encompassing security, um, both conventionally, including confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Okay, so trustworthiness is a holistic and property encompassing security, conventionally including confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Correctness, reliability, privacy, safety, and survivability. And so um, you need to survive. And it's not sufficient to address only some of these diverse dimensions, nor is it sufficient uh, for us to simply assemble components that are themselves trustworthy. Integrating the components and understanding how the trustworthiness dimensions interact is the central challenge in building a trustworthy system. And I need to quickly just add um, that there are six ways um, at all levels that you can build trust. 
Number one is to recognize that building trust takes hard work. Okay, building trust takes hard work. And so trust must be earned. It comes from a conscious effort to walk your talk. It really comes from a conscious effort to walk your talk. And I'm sure Ms. Abba um, can really just identify with this um, as it relates to himself and even as it relates to me. Because last time we spoke, I, I did mention that I got to the office um, quite early to prepare for this. And I did the same thing today. So it's really consistency and uh, it's really trust. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Ms. Sabah had no doubt that um, I would appear for this interview. And uh, I've proven and shown that I'm here. Um, so you must be able to walk your talk and you must keep your promises and align your behavior with your values. Your values are the things you value. So um, if you are valuables, it comes from value. And building trust is worth the effort because once trust is lost, it can be very, very difficult to recover. So that's really one. I mean, recognize that building trust takes time and it's hard work. Number two, um, in terms of building trust, you must be honest and supportive. You must be honest and supportive. And I've seen, I've seen in this um, trilogue conversation that um, Donnie in Asensia is extremely supportive of Ms. Abba. And that's really what it is by building trust. And even when it's difficult, you need to be able to tell the truth, not just what you think people want to hear, but you must understand what people need to know and communicate facts while being considerate of their own efforts and sensitive to their feelings. And so showing support and understanding for people, even when mistakes are made, goes a long way to build trust. Number three, sometimes you need to be quiet. Sometimes you need to be quiet. My team tells me that I, 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 I remind them of a modern day monk because sometimes you need to be quiet. Sometimes you, you need to be quiet. Yes, modern day monk. You know, actively, you need to actively listen and check for understanding by paraphrasing what you have heard. Um, you must use, you, you should be able to use a variety of feedback tools to ensure that everyone has a chance for their voice to be heard. And then you must engage in a dialogue with your people that are around you and give them an opportunity to ask questions and get answers and voice consent. And then apply your internal stakeholders to share the future actions. Mandela was once asked, and I've, I think I've mentioned Mandela um, twice this evening. Mandela was once asked what made him a great leader. And he said that as the son of a king, anytime his father went for meetings to meet the tribal leaders, he went with his father and they sat in circles. He said his father and the leaders sat in circles. And what he learned was that when everyone is speaking, the father is quiet. And the father would allow everyone to speak before he speaks. And he said that when he was asked the question how to be a great leader, he said he should be the last to speak. And I've, I've had various uncles and families and great leaders tell me that you should be the last to speak. You know why that makes you a great leader? Because then after that, you have all the things that people have said, you summarize it and you'll be able to give an action point. Number four, in terms of building trust, is that you must be consistent. Consistently doing what you say you will do. Build trust over time. It can't be something you do only occasionally. You must keep your commitments 
It must be the essence of your behavior in all relationships, day after day, year after year. It must be consistent. It must be something that people will remember you for. When people mention Miss Abba, it must be about two or three things. She's a worshiper, she hosts a program, and on and on and on. Um, number five is that you must be, you must model behavior that you seek. And so I, I think that I remember that uh, in one of our interviews, Miss Abba asked, uh, that's Kandifo Institute, um, employ people and pick interns and volunteers. And I said, yes, I mean, if, if you want to be an intern or a volunteer for Kandifo Institute, you must be ready to work hard. Because I, as the leader, I model the behavior that I seek. I'm here on a Sunday, and it's a full day work for me. You know, um, I think that when I was coming on this interview, my, my team were saying, oh, can you, would you like to do your interview in the house? And I said, no, I would want to come to the office to do my interview. I mean, because I, I value the space. I appreciate the space. And when I'm in the space, I think differently. I act differently. And so you must model the behavior that you see. Nothing speaks more loudly about the culture of a country or the culture of an organization than the leader's behavior, which influences everyone into action and has potential to drive their results. And so I think last week I, I was on a Zoom call, um, an international Zoom call, and I led the meeting. And uh, when we were done, um, one of my colleagues said, with the level of enthusiasm and drive that you have brought, you have rallied everyone that had lost enthusiasm on this project. And so you must model the behavior that you seek. And I, I, I think that um, um, it's always good to set that example. If you say to your team that it's important, reinforce the point by collaborating across the team and functions and give credit when people do great work and you will set the stage for an appreciative culture. Number six is that you must build accountability. You must build accountability. So when you or others, other leaders acknowledge your mistakes as well as your successes, your people around you see it as well and see you as credible and they would want to follow your lead. You can encourage people to be honest and hold honest dialogues and foster accountability by building in that process to be part of your culture. Over the 22 years of my work, I've been extremely accountable. I've had senior mentors and senior leaders. Even just this evening, um, I exchanged emails with one of my senior mentors in Canada, whose name I will not want to reference, but I'm sure many people will know him, but he's very, very influential. And he set up um, a sixth team um, to mentor us over the next two years. And so even me as a leader, I'm under a leadership mentoring. And it's, I mean, and it's, it's, it's really like that. And I'm accountable. So they ask me critical questions. And um, I'm very faithful to honest, honestly answer those critical questions honestly as a reflex to what advice and counsel that they will give to me for my own leadership growth and development. Right. Well, speaking of questions, I think this is a, this is a, good, a good moment to look into some of the, the questions uh, that we have. Um, Again, for those of you tuned in, we're almost rounding up our our conversation with the uh, It seems like no topic that we have uh, is 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 enough, or the time that we have is sufficient enough to. But I know that you know the whole of Ghana is waiting for the the president's address, so I have to make sure I keep this uh, within uh, time. Um, here is a question from Donnie that uh, you know really prompted me to to ask. 
And um, just a short and sweet, for progress to be made, uh, this is a statement made by Donnie, for progress to be made for Africans as a whole, it would take a group of nationalists, uh, a group of individuals with a sacrificial love for their people beyond their personal black consciousness, taking upon the responsibilities of doing better for their community or for their country. What is your take on this? I agree 100% with Donnie on his point. Reason is that one of the leaders of the Northern People's Party in this country is called S.D. Dumbo. Many people who are old and young will remember the man called S.D. Dumbo. He said that you cannot lead if you have not served. You cannot lead if you have not served. And I think that there is, there is premise on, on a number of leadership conversations that are being held, that if you have people that have, who shoot up themselves into leadership without serving, it breaks the fabrics and the morale of the society and their own leadership organization. And I think that is quite evidential on leaders that have served, that have given up their best when they have an opportunity to lead, you see the fruits that comes out of their service of leadership. So I do agree with Donnie 100% that to make progress, you need to serve and you need to make sacrifices. We all are making sacrifices. It's a Sunday and Miss Abba is set up in her home and she's making a sacrifice to host this interview. It's a Sunday and all of you that are watching are making a sacrifice to be able to watch us because you believe very strongly that this is needful as a conversation to be held for the development of our continent and the world. Right. Um, so here is one from our, uh, our uh, listener, her Richie AT, who is uh, giving this an uh, elaborate explanation. Um, any system that is created by Africans for Africans must be one that can be used across board in any, every African country. So much so that Africans can begin to become patriotic Africans, true to our African identity. Data-driven generations indeed. Remember, it just has to be bottom-up approach, and this man is purely a top-to-bottom dream. What is your take on this? I'm not quite sure if I understand um, his question, but um, um, clearly, I, I I think that Africa, you know, we we learn we learn across board um, from from the various continents. Um, Africa hasn't got it all. There are there are continents that have gone ahead of us. And um, when continents have gone ahead of us, and I think that is his last part, which I'll tackle, data-driven generations indeed. Remember, it's just to be a bottom-up approach, and this man is purely a top-to-bottom-down dreamer. So basically, um, if, if you don't want to live in a data-driven world, then um, you, you really don't have a stake. Uh, in, in this 21st century, you, you, can't, you can't be thinking that you're living in uh, maybe 15th century or... 10th century or one century and things like that. The world has changed and developed drastically. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that even the writer himself um, uses a mobile phone, unless of course he hasn't got a mobile phone, but for him to use a mobile phone means that he believes in data-driven generation. Um, if he has a smart TV, he believes in data-driven um, generation. If he uses um, Uber, uh, which is data, <laughs> he believes in data-driven um, um, generation. And um, I, I think that um, data is not a Western thing, um, and data is not an African thing. Um, data has come to meet us in this 21st century for us to be able to effectively do things. I'm sure the writer himself has had an opportunity of traveling around the world, 
Um, and I'm sure that he might have used an airplane. So if he's used an airplane, of course, it's data. It's data that communicates, it's data that the pilots use to communicate with the people on the ground. And um, if, he, if he watches television every day, and even as he's even watching us now, it's data. And so um, data-driven generations, I think that his question comes back to him that indeed proves that he's a data-driven generation. And so Richie T, welcome on board to the data-driven generation. And um, let's go on this journey. Right. Love that. Um, so we're almost wrapping up our conversation with the uh, on building the systems that we can trust. Uh, it seems like it's a lengthy job to actually build a system that we can trust. Trusting our leaders, um, one would say, you know, it first takes transparency, it takes this, it takes that. Um, where do you think, you know, at this time we are in August, in Ghana, it's nearing election time. Um, in your your own words, what would you say that um, young people can do to start building that system that they can trust? And that would be the system in its full rights, the health department, which you mentioned, infrastructure and so forth. Um, where do you think at this point for young people this starts? Could you make close with that one? I, I think that young people should get involved. Um, it's important that young people get involved. I, I have stated that Africa doesn't need charity. Um, Africa needs good leadership. And um, I mean, Dambisa Moyo, and I'll um, quote him, he's a global economist and author, and he contains in her book, um, which is Dead Aid. And he says that dead aid, that while foreign aid that addresses humanitarian needs caused by drought and conflict is helpful. And that most of the aid given to African countries is rather harmful. And um, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development provides comprehensive statistics that um, links these kinds of um, aid. And I, I, I think that for, for, for us um, as, as young people, we, we should join in the conversation of going beyond aid. Um, Ghana must rise beyond aid. And um, I think that Dambisi Moyo couldn't have said it rightly when he stated that most of the aid that is given to African countries is extremely harmful. And I think that COVID has really given us an opportunity to see that we are people who, when given the opportunity, can build our economy with the infrastructure that is available, with the labor that is available, and with the intellect that is available. We have seen that there has been closure and there has been there has been minimal intra-trade from country to country and continent to country. How have we survived all these eight months that COVID has been here? How have people um, been, been stuck from exporting and importing? If we have been able to manage our own affairs within the country of our space, then that is enough trust. I would want to encourage every young person that seize this opportunity to be involved, seize this opportunity to be engaged, seize this opportunity to understand, and seize this opportunity to ensure that whatever decision that is being made is going to impact you adversely in your own future, and so be involved. Yeah. And um, what I would like to know, what is your message for, for young global Africans, you know, who might not be uh, deciding in, in Ghana at the moment? What is your, your push push on forward for, for us? 
Well, so I, I, I would want to say to, to all my um, Africans and non-Africans is that if you're looking for a continent that breathes life, that has good climate conditions, that has minimal depletion of the ozone layer, seek Africa. Africa has gone green and Africa remains green. Come to Africa, stay in Africa, help build Africa, help develop Africa. I've seen a map where all the continents of the world, if fitted in Africa, makes Africa where the world must meet. I love that. And um, just before we round up, um, I would really like to give a shout out to a few of our listeners, who is uh, also Aaron. Aaron, I know that you are listening from uh, a London city. Just a shout out to you. Um, Richie, thank you for being our engaging, our most outspoken listener, uh, outspoken listener so far. Shout out to you for uh, tuning in with us on this uh, on this Sunday. You seem to know a lot, a lot uh, um, uh, about the systems that are currently running in Ghana. Also, a shout out to Nanama. Um, thank you for uh, for listening, and also Esther Dangwa for uh, tuning in uh, with us uh, today and listening to uh, our talk with Palgrave. Uh, just before we round up, uh, round up, uh, Palgrave, what can we look forward to? What is in the next um, three months we can look forward to as far as Kandu for Institute and as far as you are concerned, other than uh, the fact that you mentioned that um, Ghana Election Watch is looking forward to having an interview with all of our candidates, um, leaders specifically, uh, all of the other that you mentioned, what else can we look forward to? Thank you very much. I think that over the next three months, um, everybody around the world should be looking forward to a conversation that has just begun with um, Growing Leaders International. Growing Leaders International is um, a big leadership institute based in the US, and um, they are going to be signing an MOU with Kandifu Institute and myself. Uh, we've been friends for the past three years. And um, this, this is going to lead us into um, an unprecedented opportunity to train millions of young people, millions of young people uh, in Ghana and even across across the continent on various models that is available and uh, various models that people would use to be able to live their lives. And um, in the next three months, you should be trusting that um, we would be able to deliver a credible um, database for the Ghana Election Watch.com and uh, post the 2020 general election, and also um, prepare yourself to see that Kandifu Institute would launch their school, which would be a leadership school and, um, accredited by um, Growing Leaders and John Maxwell um, Foundation. Right, right. And I think that will also be an interesting one for next time on to talk to you about this, uh, the education system, the trainings that you are uh, introducing. Uh, I, I am sure that people would also love to find out, you know, is it, does Ghana need that international training and everything? Is that really what uh, uh, what uh, young people need? But that's for the next time that we, that we talked about. Um, building the systems that we can trust. I think this is uh, a one a topic that we have start, started to talk about. Um, I think uh, a follow-up is definitely needed because there's so much to talk about that cannot be squeezed in just what? one hour 30 minutes or such um but i think it's been it's been it's been good hearing what Kandifu institute is implementing as it relates to um uh, choosing the leaders our leaders of next year or this year that we are uh, that we are choosing how it's going to go uh, onward 
what young people can uh, can do, what 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 is vital uh, for young Ghanaians to be taken part of, to start working towards building the trust the system that they can trust, and also having you to having you outlined. Uh, all of the different systematic problems that are around also gives a good idea of, hey, what is uh, the primary focus? What should be the primary focus now? Uh, and also, I'm sure that Ghana uh, Election Watch will challenge people to have a critical look at the leaders they will be choosing for, opposing to just uh, um, just be- because of party sake, just because they belong to the crowd, but they can also have that critical look and be able to make a, a good decision. Any final words, Power before we round up? Well, my final words are that uh, we should all keep safe, stay safe, um, wherever you are in the world. If, if you're in Ghana, make sure that you exercise your democratic rights on Monday, 7 December 2020. Make sure that you learn how to vote well so your ballot paper is not rejected because we have many thousands of people whose ballot papers are rejected because they didn't vote well. And um, I, wish, I wish the best to the Electoral Commission. I wish the best to... Um, the various political parties as they travel around campaigning. I wish them safety, um, incident-free election, and um, I wish the globe um, the best as we all fight to come out of COVID-19. Thank you very much, Power. We'll be following up as our new season will be starting uh, next month, and hopefully to get you back on and follow up on this topic, uh, because there's so much to talk about. There are so many um, um, facets that we could cover uh, during our conversation. Again, thank you. Uh, have a delightful thank you very week. much. And uh, we, we, we will be keeping in touch uh, very soon. Thank you very much, Miss Abayan. Thank you for listening to Africa on Focus. We air live every Sunday on High Radio from 7 p.m. Amsterdam time. Join the Africa on Focus platform on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Africa on Focus or visit www.africaonfocus.com. And follow me on all your social platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Miss Abba. Shout out to High Radio and Q Vibe for the jingle.